Sometimes it's moments of brokenness which create the greatest transformations. Times where fear gives birth to faith, pain leads to healing, and chaos dissolves into peace. It's in these times we often see God more clearly. For in our deepest turmoil, He remains faithful. When our spirit is crushed, He remains strong. When our moment is too heavy, He carries the burden. As gold is refined by fire, we too are often refined by struggle. It's part of growing, changing, becoming. Lately, the journey has been difficult. Our breath has been labored. Our steps uneasy. But we stand in faith knowing who is leading us through this desert. The God of peace, the God of hope, the God of restoration. We're looking at uh, the prophet Joel. And we're going to be going through this over the next uh, three more weeks. I do invite you to come to Footnotes at 9 a.m. We had a good crowd there this morning again. Always room for more. We'll just pack you in there. And uh, it's great for me because I get to hear different uh, thoughts and different people's opinions and some of their research. And so that um, really helps me out. And hopefully it helps the people who attend. Well, last week we looked at judgment. This week we're looking at Repentance. So happy topics that we get to discuss together. And I know after preaching sermons like this, half of the people leave feeling guilty, saying, oh, I think he was talking about me. The other half leave pointing the finger at someone else because they know someone who desperately needs to hear this sermon, right? Maybe a spouse or a child or the person sitting next to you. The reality is the church hasn't always done a great job with these topics. The topics of judgment and the topics of repentance. And often we've taken these life-giving, and they are life-giving theological truths, and we've turned them into slogans like turn or burn. I've been there. I was a street pe preacher once upon a time over in Scotland and England. I was forced to do so. And uh, there was times where I had to preach to people that were passing by, shout at them the love of Jesus. And sometimes it's just easier to turn it into a slogan that gets the message across. But it's not helpful. And we didn't actually see a lot of fruit from our labors in the gospel during those days. And so what do we do with these heavy topics? Topics of judgment, topics of repentance, especially when we talk so often and should about the love of God. I think sometimes the church has weaponized judgment and repentance in order to condemn others so that we feel better about ourselves. You ever done that? We see that sin over there? It's so bad and I feel better, I'm not nearly as bad a sinner as that person over there. I won't point that direction. I'll really try not to, Doug. So we, we weaponize these theological truths that are actually meant to bring us to restoration and meant to bring us 
to God. Well, I think the same was true of Israel and Judah back in the day. I think sometimes it was easier for them to look at the nations around them and say, look at those sinners. And the surprise twist in Joel is that while ancient Judah was happy to hear about the judgment of God and the plague on others like the Egyptians, suddenly Joel said, hey, he's coming for you. That plague that we just had that was terrible, that no one's ever witnessed before or experienced before, there's something far worse coming. And it's actually coming, and it's going to start at home. It's going to start with you. That army that's coming, if you read the whole of Joel chapter 2, the army is terrible. It's worse than the plague of locusts. And who's at the head of the army? It's Jehovah. He's leading the army. And that's a surprise, a shock, and a complete horror from the people of Judah when they realize that God is coming against them. Because they have gone from being the oppressed to becoming the oppressors. And that's the danger. They've become, uh, from, come from being the people that have been in exile, the people that have been seeking justice, to those that need to be held accountable to justice because of their behavior and what they're doing, especially to the vulnerable. And so in their prosperity, in their security, Joel is shaking them and saying, pay attention or else God is going to show up and you're not going to be happy about it. And so that's what we find in this day of the Lord kind of language that comes through the prophet Joel. So this ominous, terrible event, this foreboding that sets into their bones as they sleep at night. But it's not all about darkness. And that's the important thing that we have to hold on to. We talked about this last week, that the Jewish day actually begins at nightfall. So the Jewish day begins when you look up into the sky and you see three stars. That's when the day begins. So the day actually starts dark, and then it moves into dawn and moves into light. And in the same way, I think, the day of the Lord starts with a lot of dark language. It starts with a lot of heavy language. It starts with this foreboding sense. But then it moves us toward the dawn. It actually moves us toward salvation. And we find that in Joel, and we find that in the passage um, that was read for us today. The warning of the day of the Lord is meant to evoke a response that leads to salvation. And what is that response? The response is repentance. It's repentance, the kind of thing that leads to salvation. So today, really briefly, I just want to talk three things about repentance, because so often I think we get it wrong. Repentance becomes this very heavy thing, this burdensome thing, this thing that we avoid, not realizing that it's repentance that actually leads us to salvation. And so the first thing about repentance that we learned from Joel that I want to point out is the meaning of repentance. The Hebrew word teshuva literally means to return. I don't know if that's a surprise to you. When you think about repentance, usually first thing is we say sin. That sin that you keep doing, you've got to stop it. And we often preach on repentance like that. And it becomes a burden to people because it's like, I can't stop this. It's just got such a grip on me. How do I stop this? We, we preach the gospel wrong sometimes. It's as if we're saying, clean up your act, and then you'll experience God's salvation. 
But that's not what repentance is all about. Repentance means come home, return home. Whatever condition you're in, whatever you're carrying, whatever burdens you bear, whatever obsessions you have, um, come home, return. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says, return to me with all your heart. In verse 13, return to the Lord your God. Return, come back. Don't keep going away from me. Come back. That's repentance. It's interesting as we come to the New Testament, this very passage of Joel chapter 2 is quoted by the Apostle Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it's the same series of events. Peter even says that this is like a day of the Lord, the coming of the Spirit. And the Spirit actually comes to reveal the truth, even to uh, bring judgment upon what is truth and what is not. And then the people, when they hear Peter speaking, they say this, What then shall we do? And what does he say? Repent and believe the gospel. Now that word there in Greek is metanoia. And you don't need to know a lot of Greek to kind of know this, but metanoia means to have a change in your thinking. And what Peter was saying to that crowd is, you've been thinking about Jesus in this one direction, in a direction that actually led him to the cross. But turn your thinking around, have a change in thinking about Jesus. And so we combine these two understandings and we begin to see a clear picture of what repentance is all about. Repentance is having a change in our thinking about God that causes us to return home. That's repentance. That's the beauty of repentance. Come back home. You think about a child, even if you're not a parent, you can imagine this, longing for your child to come home. Maybe a child that is, has gone and has maybe gone onto the streets. Some of you know this story, right? Maybe has become addicted to drugs or been, been uh, captivated by something that is destructive or harmful. And all you long for in your heart is come home. Come home. That's the heart of God for each and every one of us. Have a change in your thinking about me and come home. So that's the first thing, the meaning of repentance. We see that in Joel. The second thing is the motivation of repentance. Now, you'd be forgiven uh, for thinking that the motive for motivation for repentance is a big stick in the hand of God, because a lot of Joel sounds like that. It's big stick kind of language, right? It's turn or burn. It's like turn or this is going to happen and it's going to be terrible and bad and you don't want it to happen. I think sometimes those warnings are meant to wake us up to realize that the terrible thing that happens is actually a thing that we've brought upon ourselves. And as if God's saying, if you keep going in that direction, the inevitable is you're going to bring more harm on yourself and others. Turn now, come home now and we'll sort it out. So the motivation for repentance isn't actually the threat of punishment. This is the switch that happens in chapter 2 of Joel. The motivation of repentance is this, in verse 13. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Chesed is a fun word to say, if you want to clear your throat. It's also a great Hebrew word that talks about this covenant love of God, this unfailing love of God. And it's actually the love of God that is the motivation to repentance. And we find that in the New Testament too. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, we learn 
that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's a consistent story, both Old Testament and New Testament. We find it here in Joel. That's the motivation. So do we want to see other people turn to God? Do we want to see people in our communities and our families turn to God? Well, maybe instead of hitting them over the head with a giant Bible, maybe we need to practice kindness. Maybe, because that's the way God seems to operate. In the end, he shows us his love through his son, and it's the demonstration of his love that leads us to turn and come home. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Okay, the third thing, the method of repentance. What does it look like? What does it feel like to repent? Well, this is one of my favorite verses in Joel chapter 2. It says this in the New Living translation that we read, Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. But I like the older translation. Anybody know what it is? Rend your hearts, not your garments. It's fantastic, isn't it? Rend your hearts. It's good because it's harder, I think, to rend garments today. And no one wants to do that on the stage. But we're not meant to do this just simple outward sign or the show of repentance, but actually meant to have a change of heart. It's kind of like our kids. When our girls were younger, occasionally, and I'm looking at Kira now, occasionally they got into a fight with one another. I mean, nobody else's kids did that, and ours were basically angels, I know, but occasionally they would get into a bit of a spat with one another. And I realized looking back, and this is kind of interesting, you wish you had this wisdom when you're in the moment, but as a father, I was far more concerned about keeping the peace than listening to the trauma that was going on in their hearts. Really, I just wanted everybody to get along. And I wanted them to get along because it made me feel better, right? We do that with our kids sometimes. Our kids are, are crying, and we go to them, we say, stop crying, they're there. And it's probably the worst thing we can do for them. Uh, sometimes we need to let them cry, and then sit alongside them and hear what their pain is. We need to do that with one another too, right? Well, the same with when kids are fighting. What I would end up doing is saying, you come here, come here. You guys, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know how it goes, right? Now hug each other. And then this awkward kind of hug. And then they go away completely restored, right? No, what did that do? Absolutely nothing. This outward sign that they were forced to do. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Joel is saying, don't bother with the outward signs. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want a show of religion. He doesn't want you to just show up on Sunday and check it off the box and say, I'm good. He doesn't want us just to give the words and go through the motions. God wants our hearts. And he wants our hearts to be soft toward him. With all our pain, with all our trauma, come to him and allow him to transform our hearts. So repentance is not shame or regret. And especially the regret at being caught. You know, that's often when we feel repentance coming on, is when we're finally caught. And we feel regret, not so much at what we did, but the fact that we were caught doing it, right? But that's not repentance. It's not shame or regret. Repentance is not punishing yourself. It's not beating ourselves up. And so, somehow we get this faulty notion that God wants us to suffer. 
And so repentance has to be sort of costly in this physical and emotional and spiritual way. And that we have to withdraw from all the good graces of God because we don't deserve it. That's not repentance. That's false repentance. That's not what God is asking us to do. And repentance is not going through the emotions, the motions to try and appease someone else. So what is it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, repentance recognizes our faulty thinking about God, about ourselves, about the path that we're on. Repentance recalls the goodness of God. And then repentance returns to the Father. That's what repentance feels like. It feels like coming home. If home is a good place in your mind, it feels like coming home. That's what repentance is. Rend your hearts. Like, like have a change of your heart. Don't just tear off your garments. Don't do the outward show. That's not what God is looking for. Those are three things about repentance. It all comes together for me, though, in the New Testament story of the prodigal son. I can't escape this. When Jesus tells the story of repentance, he tells the story of the prodigal son. And some of you know this story, right? The younger son, he's the rebellious one. I think, Eric, are you younger? So there's a good illustration of this. He's the one that goes to college and gets kicked out three times, right? I think your brother made it all the way through in one go. Uh, what's with that? So anyway, back to the story. The prodigal son is the younger son that decides that basically he wants his inheritance now. And when he says that, he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my money now, right? And what does he do? He goes off and he squanders it, wine, woman, and song, lives it up for a short period of time. But then he comes to his senses, and there's this really beautiful moment where he's completely broken, and he comes to his senses. He recognizes his faulty thinking, right? He recalls the goodness of his father's house, and he gets up and returns to his father. And what does he find as he comes back to his father? His father's just waiting for him with a big stick. No, that's not it at all. His father sees him while he's still a ways off. And he runs down the road. He embraces his son. But here's the sad part of that whole story. The prodigal son wasn't actually the one that went away. It's the one that stayed at home. Because the one at home, even though he was close in proximity to his father, even though he stayed in his father's house, even though he went through all the motions, he didn't have his father's heart. And that's revealed because when his brother comes home, he can't enter into the celebration. He can't enter into the grace. He's jealous. He's angry. You know, this, this brother has squandered everything and you throw him a party. You haven't even given me any kind of party all this time. And he becomes bitter. And the lesson Jesus says is that sometimes it's the people of God, it's the people on the inside who need to repent. And that's a lesson that is hard to learn. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal, heal their land. That's the verse that comes to mind when I think about this. So, if we want to see change in our society, if we want to see healing in our communities and in our land, perhaps instead of going out and pointing out the sins of others, Perhaps it's the church that needs to repent first. Perhaps we need to have a good look 
at ourselves and what God is calling us to. And by repentance, remember, I mean, have a change in our thinking. Remember the goodness of God, this covenant of God, and come home in our hearts to God. My mom would always say, and maybe your parents said this too, when you point the finger at someone else, there's four pointing back to you. And I, she said four, and I always thought, well, there's, there's three unless you have a really weird thumb. But I never corrected her on that point because I got her illustration, right? And I think we all do. We have that sense that we have to start at home when it comes to repentance, start maybe with our own hearts. So biblical repentance, it's a change of mind that causes us to return to God. Here then is the question. What is the distraction that is turning us away from the love of the Father? What's the distraction in our life? What are we so preoccupied with that's turning us away from that center of peace with the Father? What is the faulty thinking that is leading us away from the grace and the kindness of God? The encouragement today is to return to the Father he is waiting with open arms. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you call us to yourself, that you didn't wait until we had cleaned ourselves up, until we somehow got our lives on track and then decided to invite us over. Father, help us to do that with others too. Help us in the same way that you have loved us, to love those around us. I know I've got a lot of growing to do in that area. And so today my sense of repentance is to realize my faulty thinking about those around me sometimes and to recognize that your love for me is so profound and just to come home and to be with you, to sense your heart and to celebrate all that you celebrate. Father, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.